Welcome to It Could Be Said. My name is Will Calling, and we're joined as always by the one, the only, Dr. Luke Middup. How are you today, Luke? Well, I'm kind of intimidated, to be honest, Will. <laughs> Why would that be, Luke? Well, it's not often I you have to match wits with an opinion with an opinion contributive to a prestigious national publication. Yeah, but unfortunately Simon's on holiday, so you don't have to. <laughs> Yes, um, I, I, I had my first article in City AM, so I mean, the plan is for it to be a fortnightly column, all being well, so and I thought I would christen the new column by uh, giving Jim Allister the best write-up he's ever had in the London News. I can't believe you didn't get a retweet from, like, Tov's press office. I mean, How often do they get positive media coverage, for goodness sake? <laughs> I feel like the combination of Wizard of Oz references and basically telling the DUP not to go wobbly. I think that's quite a good sum- summation of the rather wo- weird combination of politics I have. <laughs> also, I'm very disappointed they didn't decide to call it Will's World. <laughs> But yeah, but no, uh, it's his other city. Or alternatively, you know what really grinds my gears? We know what I um. So the, my first, the first website, like proper website, I wrote for was um called Four War One Mania, and this oh my god, this would be back in like I want to say like two thousand and three, two thousand and four, and they launched a politics because like I was writing for the comic section. It was like a wrestling website that was branching out to become a general entertainment site. And they launched a politics section called 411 Black. Um, okay. And I called my, um, my, my politics columns, my politics writings, writings from my soapbox, which is a, almost as cliche as, you know, what grinds my gift. <laughs> But um, yeah, but no, no. So it is, it is available on City AM's website. Um, the thing I found quite, I found quite funny in my column is, I, I know, I don't know. Uh, to me, it, it reads fairly moderate and anodyne, but like it's a deeply crazed article. Like it is me basically saying, "Hey, DUP, don't listen to the Tories. Don't be fools. You stay out of power sharing until they fix the protocol for you." Um, which I don't think is exactly the moderate austere take. Well, you know, like I think, I think you put it, you put it very well to me um, offline. You're that you the, there's that scene in Vice where like Dick Cheney, where like they they make the point that Dick Cheney could say like completely radical shit, but because he said it in like a a tone that sounded reasonable, everybody just sort of nodded along, and then they have like. Christian Bale saying how they should all get naked and run around the White House. <laughs> just weird, I, I, mean, I think I've said this point to you before. Like my writing style is very different to my podcasting style, where my podcasting style is is a bit crazed. Whereas I think there's always been a dryness to my writing. Um, yeah, but as I said, like I mean, as I said, like this isn't this. I do think it's right, and I think you've seen today Brandon Lewis threatening uh, MLAs with a pay cut, you know, doing his best Peter Hayne tribute um, act. And um, the, the basic 
premise of the article, obviously, it has to be condensed because of word limits. But basically, the Tories really need a DUP to implement the Northern Ireland Protocol because it's the old Ken Clark line, isn't it? There's no point the Tories being more orange than the dominant unionist party. Like, whatever the dominant unionist party does, that's okay. Um, and, you know, d- despite whatever criticism you might get from more hardline unionist figures, either in Northern Ireland itself or in Great Britain. And so if the DUP sign up to the protocol and implement it, which, you know, it's easy to forget, but that was what Arlene Foster was talking about doing, like, um, you know, in, t- in 2020. If they do that, then the protocol becomes accepted, embedded, and that means the kind of hard, the very, very hard Brexit that's been implemented for Great Britain can be stabilised and be, you know, be treated as settled fact. Whereas if there is still an argument between London and Belfast, that means there's an argument between London, Dublin and Brussels, which means actually there is a problem to be resolved, which means that the next Labour government can come in and say, well, you know what? We're going to align on, say, psychosanitary standards, we're going to align on industrial... Photosanitary standards. Oh, sorry. Industrial and agricultural standards. And there will be the peace at the expense of liberal Brexiteers' dreams of maximum regulatory and customs um, divergence. Yeah, well, um, it's, yeah but it's, it's worse than that, Will, because, because OK, that, that, will be, that will be sort of peace in our time. But... You can imagine, you can imagine, should it happen that a second term, you know, Keir Starmer or West Streeting led Labour government would turn around and go, look, everybody, we're having to implement all this legislation that we have no say over. Wouldn't it be better if we were back in the room? Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that's true because it would be such a massive ball ache to renegotiate membership of the EU. I think. I could definitely see a bit less. So, you know, you take signing up to all those standards and in the second term, it's like, oh, you know what? Like, we're missing out on all these great free trade deals the Europeans are signing. Why don't we go back into the customs union? Um, um, why don't we have, um, you know, alignment on professional standards in return for some limited sector deals on freedom of movement so you can see how these things you could build from a base yeah and i think this is why the erg well i think i think i think we're both making the same point but you see it in a lot you see it in a longer series of babies yes than i do and i think this is and like i think this is why it's really important for the hardline brexiteers and the tory party to get this done, but get this done does not mean scrap protocol. It means get the DUP to accept something that can become a permanent deal. Um, and you know they no, they don't care what the deal is as long as the DUP accept it. Um, yeah. um, as I put in the article, the only route to stabilising the, the current version of Brexit goes down an orange brick road. Um, you, I can't tell you how happy I was when I came up with that. 
<laughs> uh, did you see um, did you see that article from Bertie Hearn? I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, but I think I, th- I think it is interesting, but it's all like it's one of these weird ones where it's like, well, no shit. Because yes, like Yeah, the- but I mean maybe we should explain what we're talking about. So Bertie Hearn, the former Irish Prime Minister, the former T-shirt, basically came out and said, Look, if you if the Brits go ahead with this cockamamie bill to override the protocol then we in the Republic need to get ready for the nightmare scenario of having our goods subject to some kind of checks before they enter the continental European Union. Yeah, this has always been a nightmare that has stalked the Irish because... Yeah. And, and I think... Because it, essentially that's, that's a form of erexit. Um, well, <laughs> without anybody ever asking for it. It's one of these ones where... I so, can't so, see the EU ever doing it because it would send such a shiver down the spine of every small European Union member. No, I disagree. I disagree because basically, if we do this and if Britain is allowing goods that don't meet EU don't meet EU standards into Northern Ireland with not even the pretense of checks, um, that does open up the question of stuff getting into. Ireland and then potentially gain into Ireland from Ireland into the into the continental single market and you are going to have people asking whether there should be checks on this good to make sure bad things aren't happen effectively and I think what would ha- what would surely happen in the first instance would be that the EU would the commission would go to Ireland and say the protocol is not working um, you need to erect a border and then the Irish government would have to decide whether they'd be willing to erect the border. And if they did refuse to erect the border, that's when you start potentially getting checks on Irish goods entering, entering the rest of the single market. Now, I think the thing is, this, there's, there's two points to make on this. So I think this has always been the thing that has like really frustrated um, British Brexiteers. But that, Be- hang on, sorry, but that's still the the commission selling out the core. No, it's not. But they're not. They're, they're not selling out. That you can't have a single market and customs union where one member refuses to police its its external border. Like the Irish have a responsibility to police the border. If they won't put put a erect a border. On the North, on the Northern Irish on the, on like the Irish border, in the in the in the event of this weird deal that that the EU and Britain have came together to avoid that collapsing, then if there are checks, then that's on the Irish. It's not the EU's. Well, it's kind of on our on us, but it's not the EU's fault, you know, because there are reasons why you do check things that are entering your market. <laughs> I mean, I know we're not hilariously because we, we, we're 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 terrified of what it will do to Dover. But, um, but I mean, but I mean, also isn't it? But also, isn't that kind of the issue? Because no one's been able because no one's been able to point to a single good or a single class of good that would enter Northern Ireland at the moment that doesn't meet EU standards. So this problem is theoretical. I get well, yes, but like. That's also an argument against Brexit, isn't it? Like, why why are we not just staying it? 
I mean, look, let's face it, like this, this goes back to there's not going to be meaningful divergence <clears throat> on industrial agricultural goods because the producers in Britain are primarily geared up to selling, you no, know, to whatever exports they have, they're primarily geared up to selling stuff to Europe. Yeah, and I mean, so this is the uh, this is this is the irony of all of this. We seem to be spending so much time and effort trying to solve a problem that only exists in theory. But that's 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 Britain's fault, not the Europeans' fault. Like, if we'd have just signed up, like as you know, May wanted to, if we'd have just signed up to agricultural and industrial standards, then there wouldn't be this problem. I mean, there'd still be the issue of customs to deal with, but there wouldn't be the problem on standards. But anyway, the point I was going to make is, just, just go back to, I think there's two things to take about this. One, I think this has always been what's frustrated Brexit is about Brexit getting snarled, snarled up on the question of the Irish border. Because in theory, it should be Britain's point of maximum leverage over Europe in the sense of... Europe is bigger than Britain, but Britain is bigger than Ireland. And if Britain is entwined with the European economy, well, Ireland is entwined with the British economy. And actually, a lot of Ireland's engagement with Europe has traditionally gone through the British land bridge. So, no, no, it comes back to things like... um, I think it was pretty Patel saying, like, if the borders broke down in the event of a no-deal Brexit, then Ireland would, would be facing shortages of food and medicine because so much of it came through Britain. Now, and so, like, Brexit, I think Brexit has always been frustrated in the sense of why is it that what should be a point of maximum leverage for us um, keeps getting used to you know we keeps getting used on us this makes no sense and the rea- reality of the situation is the reason why it keeps getting used against britain is ireland is you know 95% united that brexit's a uh, uh, brexit was a bad idea the rest of europe is what 60 70% united that brexit was a bad idea in northern ireland itself um, unionists did vote for Brexit narrow, uh, by a na- narrow major- majority, but nationalists, you know, I think some estimates say it's 70-80% voted for Remain. Brit- no, Great Britain, you know, I think when I think it's something like Great Britain, it was something like 53, 47. So obviously Northern Ireland was um, a pro a, a pro remain area overall. Um, so what you basically have is Ireland, EU, they are united in that whatever bad happens when it comes to Brexit is Britain's fault, which you know is not true. You know it takes two to tango. Um, whereas Northern Ireland and Great Britain are deeply divided over what happens on Brexit, and there is never going to be that consensus of anything bad happening due to negotiations with the EU being the Europeans' fault. You know, what, you know, whenever we try and play hardball, half the country says we're being mean to the Europeans. Whenever the Europeans 
play hardball. That same half of the country says, see, this proves we shouldn't have voted for Brexit. So we can never, we, we, we were never able, we were never going to be able to play hardball on the Northern Irish border, ignoring the fact as well, obviously, that it's in our interest to keep peace and community harmony in, in Northern Ireland as well. So that's the first thing. So I think that's always been kind of like, a subtext of a lot of the arguments over Brexit that Brexiteers get un- deep down, Brexiteers get very frustrated that this thing that should have been a, a, a part of a winning hand has actually became part of a losing hand. The second thing is, look, the Commission, even if the nightmare scenario doesn't happen to any great extent, the Commission will never accept. F- just goods from from Great Britain swirling around um, the island of islands, um, even if they don't meet EU standards um, on, as a permanent situation, they will always want to make sure that that is addressed. And th- so that takes you back to you know, my original point, which is, you know, that may become a de facto settlement for a few years whilst the EU waits for the Tories to lose. But then they will go to the next Labour government and say, look, you know, OK, it's time for you to, to, to pull your head out of your asses and get this solved. What is the solution going to be? Which then brings, puts alignment back on the table. And this, so, and this, so this is why... Everything this government wants to achieve and to lock in needs a deal with the EU and a, a deal with the EU that the DUP are happy to implement for them. So, yes, there is this theoretical danger that Ireland carries the bag, but it, it, it probably won't. Wait, if it happened, it only happened for a short amount of time. Because we would never have the, the we would never have the internal consensus to actually do it, and I think the I think and again I think the your point, Luke, about how people see it as the EU selling Ireland out. I think people just blame us um, and not the not the Europeans. And in any case, it wouldn't help our object. What? The Tory, the Tory government's objectives, Tory Brexiteers' objectives, because it would leave open the whole thing being looked at again when the Labour government came in. It's like the opt-outs. Like, I mean, have you have you ever heard the story about um, Tory ministers in 1992? Uh, which one? So Tory ministers were going back into their departments and there'd been a fuck-up with the briefings because obviously Labour had been expected to win. And some of them actually got briefings that were meant for their Labour shadows, talking about how no, no, your first priorities in government will be reversing the opt-outs on on the single currency and social chapter. <laughs> I didn't know that. But yeah, it no. surprise me. And it's like no, it's 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 also like how there was meant to be an intergovernmental summit in 1996. Which deliberately got delayed till June of May or June of 1997. I.e., yeah. after it was almost certain that John Major's Conservatives would be replaced by Tony Blair 
and so you'd have a much more pro-European British government to deal with. Was that the was that the one that it, that led to Nice, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, and then Nice came afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's a basically a long way around of saying, um, don't go wobbly, DUP. You, 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 you make Boris Johnson uh, sort his own mess out. But. But okay, let's say let's say this this bill this this bill that overrides the protocol gets passed. Doesn't Labour just put in its next election manifesto that it's going to align on agricultural and industrial goods? I don't yeah. see how this is an end to the problem. It's not. But but this wouldn't solve anything anyway. The, the, what they're trying to do is get the DUP back into power sharing, so the DUP implements the protocol. Yeah. Because the minute the DUP implement the protocol, the, the protocol's a fixed thing. Yeah, 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 I get, I get that. So, like, but the, but the, but the DUP's not ever going to do that. Well, they they were talking about doing it in twenty twenty, and I think that's what the Tories are trying to get them to do. Um, so, I mean, we'll see if it succeeds, but that is what the plan is. Yeah, but the, the uh, but the but my point is. That would be the ideal scenario. But let's say this bill, let's trust passes, let's introduce passes. That isn't a solution, correct? No, no it's, it doesn't solve anything because um, it still has quite extensive checks on goods going each way that would need to be implemented. Um, it's clearly an, an illegal, it's clearly illegal in international law um, because I've not used, uh, no. They're claiming that it's legal on the basis of necessity, but they're not even trying to use Article that, 16. And that's the thing that that's the thing that I don't get. You have grounds to use Article 16, so use it. But but this is the thing, like if you invoke Article 16, you probably then are on the path of actual confrontation with the Europeans. And this is kayfabe, this is kabuki. This is designed to look firm. So you get the DUP back in the tent, implementing aspects of the protocol, rather than blow up the whole thing and have to start again. Because the minute you invoke Article 16, you are hurtling towards a European court judgment on what actually actually is societal and trade disruption. And the danger is, if they turn around and say that what is happening now isn't societal or trade disruption, I really don't see how you can argue the trade point. I could see how you could argue the societal one. Um, That could be a red rag to rather nasty elements in Northern Irish society. Um, you you, You know, if this isn't societal disruption, we'll give you societal disruption. Yeah, I, I yeah, I do see that point. Um, and again, you know, they don't want the protocol to end. You know, this we'll talk about Roe versus Wade next. This is as good as it gets if you are a liberal Brexiteer who is very invested in maximum customs regulatory freedom from the European Union. This is the gold standard deal. Any revision to, to the deal. It's going to be moving us back towards the European Union. Um, 
So you want to try and keep this deal as much as possible. You don't actually want to blow it up. And the only way this deal makes sense is with an Irish sea border. Because even, even a, a border in the English Channel would, would require quite extensive alignment on regulatory standards because it, 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 no, in, in theory, it is plausible to see a way where Ireland effectively gets a de facto opt-out from the customs union, but Ireland would never want or, or, or be allowed to have like a more free going opt-out from the single market. And that's just that's just science fiction. So yeah, you know, like this this is as good as it gets, and they need to make the Irish sea border work. Um or you know, they should be sensible and you know, dream of Jersey. Yeah. In other in other news of uh of uh, um I don't know what what I don't know where I suppose it is a historic moment. Um Roe versus Wade was Weird, down. it's a historic moment, but it's one we saw coming from a mile away. Yes, yes, yes. It it was uh e- even Supreme Court just uh, judgments now get teaser trailers. Yeah. Um yeah. Roe Roe versus Wade was struck down by a six three ruling. You can always tell when it's an historic Supreme Court uh, uh, judgment when there's like almost every single member of the majority writes their own concurrence. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about that in a bit if you like, but uh, yeah, that's noticeable. I mean, in a way, we are the two worst people alive to be talking about this because one, we're we're not American. Two, Neither of us possess a uterus. Three, you have you have children, and I don't, and I think we're both happy with that situation. Um, I, think so, four, we, I think four as well. We we I think we may be the two of the only people not to have strong opinions on abortion. It's not that I don't I don't have strong opinions on it. I can just see both sides. Of, I can kind of see. Yeah, no, well, that's. That, that, that that's that that's what I am like. It's it's like, I, I it is one of those ones where like I think both sides of the argument have quite strong arguments. Um, the, thing, the thing the thing I'm always struck by whenever I sort of um, dip into the American debate on that is just how absolute the positions on both sides of the argument are. Well, that that comes from it becoming a legal argument. Like you, it's it's much more difficult to um, allow nuance when you're trying to impress courts because you know, the law the law is absolute whereas politics is is, yeah. is all nuance and compromise um I know to me I mean we, we should like I think to me like it's just clearly there is a there is an element of truth with the idea of the, you know, the fetus the unborn child, um, that is that is human life on some meaningful level. Not that, and like, and I don't think anyone's ever kind of came to no has actually came with a robust argument why it isn't meaningful life compared to a newborn child, given the fact that you know the newborn ch- children aren't viable without 
without external support that they they don't really have uh, consciousness in the same way an adult does you know etc 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 you know all the arguments you can make about um why a unborn child isn't isn't meaningfully human life you really can make with a baby just as they're born um but equally clearly a society that forces women to have a pregnancy that they do not want is place is it is striking a hammer blow on women's personal autonomy um and a hammer blow that will not just impact this very important life decision um because obviously you know i haven't had you know having children and obviously no I, yeah. I saw up well, close the impact it has on a woman's body, and it's no fun. Um, so to go through that when you don't actually want the child at the end of it, it, it is almost, um, you know, it's almost unimaginable. And then, you know, the third thing, which I think you see particularly in the American context, and, you know, whatever you say about Clarence Thomas, at least he's honest about it, is that Roe versus Roe versus Wade is part of a tapestry of judgments that creates the modern world as it exists in America? You know, in the terms of the 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 the, the national, the federal legalization of contraception, the national uh, federal uh, prohibit uh, prohibit uh, not allowing any form of anti uh, homosexuality legislation. The uh, the national federal uh, allowing of gay marriage. Uh, these all these judgments um, have at their same source the reading into the constitution of a right to privacy. And if Roe versus Wade, as um, as the second oldest of these kind of series of judgments, is is struck down, it's hard to see how you know the uh, prohibition on anti-sodomy laws, the prohibition on um, efforts to ban gay marriage. It's hard to see how you can be assured that they will survive. And I think one of the interesting things I find is there's a lot of criticism online about how so many, what used to be single issue groups have became part of this like amorphous, social socially liberal blob but i think it is because so many of these single issue campaigns are genuinely interlinked um and the connections are so profound and so deeply woven that it is actually in the interests of planned parenthood to be arguing for lgbtq rights and it's in interest of lgbtq organizations be arguing in favor of abortion and contraception and in favor of the lcl aclu to be arguing for it all because yeah, it all but i mean together but i mean there, there there's there's there are several there are several things that are striking about that i haven't read all the judgments but i did read alito i did read alito's judgment which is kind of like the it's his judgment. Like it's he, his judgment. He, he's and the I lead one. Kavanaugh's concurrence, and they go out of their way to say, "Oh no, 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 no!" Because it's an issue of life and death. <laughs> that places because abortion is an issue of life and death. 
that places the the sort of burden on um, the sort of burden to prove an inherent right in the constitution much higher than these other than these other than than the other cases than the other instances you were referencing. It's like that's 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 intellectually convenient. Uh, that's intellectually convenient, but I'm not sure I buy it. Like, if there isn't an inherent right to privacy, then there isn't an inherent right to privacy. Well, also, um, you have to remember, Leto did vote against uh, the the two most yeah, recent. Yeah, he voted against Obergefell versus Hodges, which is the the case legalizing legalizing gay marriage. The the thing I I mean, I'm far from like a constitutional scholar. But you know, I, I, I'm a politics nerd, so I read around this stuff. I don't see how you can uphold interracial marriage without upholding, on the basis of the Fourteenth Amendment, without upholding, um, without upholding gay and lesbian marriage as well. I don't see the logic in that. I mean, I I, I would assume yeah. that the argument would be is that the Fourteenth Amendment is explicitly to do with race because it's a post-Civil War. Yeah, but it, but it, but if you're going from the text, it doesn't mention race. Yeah, well, we was well, see. This is this is always the, the fun thing, isn't it? Because yeah, originalism. You would think originalism is we just so the the two theories. So there's what is it? Uh, con, construction constructionism, where you yeah. basically take the text as it reads, and you allow that meaning to evolve over time. And originalism says you take the text and you look at the debates of the time to work out what what they, what the intent was. Um, and like it's one of these ones where you just want to hold your hands up and say, yeah, "This is all witchcraft." Like this yeah, is this, this is, is, this is, this is the, however you want to describe this is this is legislate this is you are legislating from the bench in the way that you are you are excoriating liberal justices for doing. You're doing exactly the same fucking thing. But but I mean this thing that like this is where like I've seen a lot of people say, oh, this is an anti-democratic decision. And it's like, well, it's not really well, so was, yeah, but so was reversed. Yeah, right. like like the Supreme Court has reversed a previous Supreme Court judgment. You know, like that to me seems a fair cop. It's not like, say, the recent judgment on New York's gun uh, gun laws um, or the possible judgment next week over um, how the EPA is structured where the Supreme Court is getting involved and undermining the work of Congress. But this idea that you can send abortion down to the states and it not be a complete shit show. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's pre-programmed. But this is this is the thing that gets me. I really don't want to get into the moral arguments oh, on abortion because I, for all the reasons I sort of say, I, it's not that I, I cards on the table. I think abo- I, I'm I'm of the the was it Clinton? You know, safe legal. Safe, and rare. safe legal and rare. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's 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 where I come out basically. I mean, I think most people do as well. Yeah. But, which is sorry, so which sorry, Luke, which is why. You, you can't read too much into opinion polls because basically I do think most people are basically like us where if you kind of had them sit down for 10 minutes with, a, with an eloquent uh, um, advocate for either side, they, they would like agree with that person. Yeah. Because I mean, like also, people have I mean, a mishmash also, of views. 
but I mean, also some of these state laws are so. I mean, yes, some of them have exceptions for the life and welfare of the mother. Some of them don't, and even the ones that do, that exception is so narrowly drawn that you are going you are going to get women die who need. Yeah, because so it's, because because it's calling on do- it's, call- it's calling on doctors to get an eighteen-page legal brief before they can do anything. Well, yeah, yeah. So, like, it's. I mean, I think you could you can see in Kavanaugh's c- concurrence that he is deeply alarmed at what this may unleash. So, like, there's he he makes a big point about how and this. You, you know, you know what's in- you know what's interesting about that. Go on. Brett Kavanaugh is the only member of the Supreme Court at the moment that has had real and substantial real-world experience working in the executive branch of the federal government. And I think that's, that's telling. No, no, he's um, the only, no, he's no, the only um, one that's ever did. had to try and make the trains run on time. No, Roberts did as well. Roberts was Solicitor General under Reagan, or Deputy he Solicitor, Solicitor General. I meant sort of outside of the... the the legal profession, basically. What was Kavanaugh's experience? He was like executive secretary to George W. Bush. Oh, okay. Which basically means that all the paperwork going in and out of the Oval Office goes through him. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. That is, yeah. yeah, that is different to what Robert said. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but Kavanaugh makes this big, has this big sidebar about how nothing in this judgment should call into question people's right to interstate travel. Um, which I think is basically them, him saying quite clearly that if anybody tries to do like you know, f- no fugitive woman act effectively, yeah, um, we were talking about this offline the other day. You know, you, you you're going to you know this Supreme Court will not uphold that. I I think John Roberts clearly wanted to go a step further because jo- what John Roberts clearly wanted to do was make the uh, regime much more hostile towards abortion but keep it as a federally mandated approach by the Supreme Court. Because I think what he, all the rumours are is that what, what he wanted to do was go to um, a 15-week standard. Yeah, that, that's not a rumour, right? That's not a rumour. That's, that's in his concurrence. That's yeah. That's what he would prefer to do. Um, but like the rumour is, is like, that that's not just a concurrence he wrote off the top of his head. Like He was desperately trying to get a other... Um, uh, justice to like the fact, and then you'd have had this weird thing where it'd be a six-three judgment to strike down Roe versus Raid. Then there'd be a, and effectively Kavanaugh and Roberts would join it's a, with it's the called fr- a controlling opinion, isn't it? Yeah, like they would join with the liberals to narrowly define what the striking down actually meant. Um. But, like, obviously, no, if you'd gone to that, that would have then meant you would have had quite a strict anti abortion uh, 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 framework, particularly because compared to, say, European countries that have 15 weeks or 12 week abortion limits, you know, you don't have the same free access to healthcare, you don't have the same uh, free access to abortions. Um, and so, that's, so and, and you also have kind of a hurdle to get an abortion that can take it out of that period. So it would have been quite a draconian abortion framework. Yeah, but I mean, I but, but it would have been it would have been the same framework for everywhere. But what you can already start to see is that 
every Republican is going to think that it's in their interest to do the biggest, baddest pro-life building. Yeah, most and, draconian. Um, and so I think I think you're going to have some pretty crazy overreach from the Republicans, far far in excess of what even the average pro-life voter would want to see. So sort of no exceptions for rape and incest. No exceptions for the health and welfare of the mother. Uh, and the, the, the thing is, I mean, I understand what Brett Kavanaugh's trying to do, but what that results in is something really quite monstrous in that abortion is going to remain an option for, you know, the wealthy and the middle class and people that work for companies that include, uh, you know, abortion, um, reproductive health in their insurance policies. You've already seen, like, Several major companies say we will pay for our employees to get an abortion out of state if necessary. So, it's, so you're going to have a situation where abortion is open to certain classes of people and closed to certain classes of people. Now, even if you're on the pro-life side of the argument, that is that is that is monstrous is the only way to describe it. That is now, awful. I, I think it is important. So, which I think you'll be, we've all got to be, got to be slightly careful not to overstate that because obviously, one of the things you're going to have is a lot is a lot of um, pro-life states that border other pro-life states. So actually, there will be relatively affluent people that just won't be able to take advantage of the loophole of going to another state. Will other states be able to cope with the influx as well? Is 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 a big yeah. question. Um, and I think there, there is an argument whether there's a danger that this will, you know, saying stuff like that will undermine coalition building efforts. But you are right. Fundamentally, this is going to be a bit of a hodgepodge that won't make coherent sense, which, of course, then I'm leads just, to... I'm just saying from a moral point of view, it's, it's indefensible. But, but, I mean, well, you know what the solution to that, though, is, don't you? Well, it, yeah, it's either... This is why I can't understand throwing... Uh, this is why if... You're on either the pro-choice or pro-life side of the argument. Throwing this issue to the states makes no sense. No. Because either you believe that abortion is what, you know, that a woman has a right to choose, or you don't. The idea that it, that, it, that, that could vary between localities is just mind-boggling. I think, I think there's an argument to make that it probably did make sense as when Rovers it could... It, not, it, made, it made more sense when Roe versus Wade was decided because America had a less nationalised political culture. But, like, you, you see it in all aspects of American politics now. Like, America is not as devolved and regionally based as it once was. There's a much more nationalised politics. So I have no doubt. That, that that now that the pro-life movement of achieve, has achieved this victory, the next step will be trying to establish um, fetal personhood in the courts. Um, and, and so you actually get a federal abortion ban being, being passed by the Supreme Court. Um, can, can I just go to another odd thing about um, these judgments, which is the um, argument about contraception and contraception being a profoundly different thing to an abortion. And it's like, 
Yeah, that's not the way I was taught. I was of what I was taught by the Catholic Church. Let us say, all right, the, the la- will's lapsed, Catholicism comes roaring out. There. Well, no, I mean it's not like I agree with it, but like they're saying, like you know, it's completely ridiculous to compare contraception to abortion. It's like, guys, no, it's not. Like the whole foundational basis for for, for Catholic teaching on 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 you know right to life type issues is is that the is that why abortion is wrong is that it's preventing human life in the same way that contraception prevents human life and it's why you know Catholicism does have the principle of double effect to to intervene to physically save the mother even if it means um, effectively aborting um, the un- the unborn child. So yeah, like look, it's it's moments like this you really do just love the Westminster system because it's like yeah, the British Constitution. <laughs> I'm not saying the British Constitution doesn't have its problems. I'm not saying it can't be improved. I don't think we live in Nirvana, but I will die on the hill that the Westminster system of government is the best system of government in the world. Because it's just like you know, like you were saying, like because you were telling me all about this, like the the, the like Alito's judgment is it's referring back to like quote unquote Anglo American common Anglo American common law. Actually, Samuel, there's no such thing. It's English common law. And you know, back to the 1400s and 1300s. I think the first case he references is from 1328. <laughs> and it's like our abortion. No, when it, when you have. When you have rulings about abortion in Britain, in in England and Wales, it's nineteen sixty. It's nineteen sixty-seven. Our abortion law. Yeah, do you remember who bought it in as a private members' bill? Oh no, I. Oh, Steele. Yeah, David Steele. I was trying. I was getting confused with that. The... That that's why the rising star to elder statesman thing is slightly unfair. Actually, I would argue. Because he is the author of a piece of legislation that's had a profound social impact. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, because that... I'm not sure how much of it he actually like wrote. I think there was a like a, no, a coalition of like MPs and uh, you know sort of um, family planning groups wrote the bill, but it is in his name. Well, ba- well, basically, so we should explain this for either Americans or indeed younger Britons who don't know, don't know this story. Hey, we weren't alive in 1966 either, so. Okay, people who don't who haven't read the history. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old. The um, you don't you, you don't know that I'm that old. Listen, <laughs> well, as I could be. Anyway, go on. Sorry. I'm so, so basically, you. you had you had Roy Jenkins come in as as Home Secretary, and this was at a point where it was Labour government, but Labour still had quite a strong, socially conservative um, uh, wing of of the party. Yeah, a lot um, of Catholic, lot of Catholics. Actually. Yeah, a lot of Catholics as well. Um, uh, but but also the Tories had quite a did have a socially liberal wing as well. So it's one of these things that there, there was like a liberalizing majority to unlock in the Commons. Yeah, but not across party. But it's across party lines. But, but it's across party lines. So actually, no, bizarrely, actually, I think I think the first legislation actually does happen before Jenkins, which was so you had you had capital punishment, you had flogging, you had 
abortion. You had the flogging male- one is interesting because that pretty much that all that fallen by the way. Like you actually look at it, it no one was flogged since like the nineteen hundred, like the nineteen hundreds. It's still on the statute books, but no judge, no yeah. judge had actually ordered it. See, decades before it was removed. Oh, well, same with, same with the capital punishment. Capital punishment, yeah, hadn't been used an awful lot because home secretaries tended to um, invoke, you know, provide clemency. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so basically you had this whole suite of liberalizing legislation and the way it was all passed was to, to, to have it as private members bills. So private members bills for the, basically every session of parliament, there was a ballot for which backbenchers get to promote, get to introduce their own bills. Yeah, now, back norm- ben- backbenchers being MPs that aren't government ministers. Yeah. If we're going to do an explanation, let's do it properly. <laughs> now, normally these are a nonsense. You know, they've got no chance of becoming legislation. But the, what, what Jenkins did was um, make sure there was government time provided for these favoured um uh pieces of legislation and, and to luke's point yeah. the way i understand it is steel came up in the ballot and was then basically set upon by pro-abortion campaigners um asking him to introduce their bill the reason why you do it as a private member's bill is private member's bill aren't whipped well no they can be but i think they the agreement be. the agreement was that they wouldn't be whipped yeah but, ba- but basically, it's a way of getting legislation onto the books when your own party is divided, but you think there's a commons majority for a measure. Yeah. Because you can do it as what's called a vote of conscience, where you don't whip. Yeah, and it's interesting because like that's became... It's became kind of the default. Like, I know, for some reason, New Labour did whip on quite a few things that may have... Con- conventionally been seen as issues of con- of of conscience. Yeah, but that was when they were at their most controlled freakery stage. Well, no, I don't think it's it's just that. I think as well, there was just it was just kind of like, no, the, these are part we're not someone's like we're not really divided on these anymore. Like the cabinet is universal yeah. universal in its approval. Like I think I think the last Social, social conservatives say that served in a Labour cabinet is probably um, Blunkett. Um, and even Blunkett's a weird one. So, so yeah, so, but yeah, like, and, and like the thing is, like, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we we're talking about with Brexit, which is you know, if this deal implodes, Tory Brexiteers, Liberal Brexiteers will never get anything as good again. And I think, unfortunately, for pro-choice campaigners, it is hard to see how they'll ever be able to rebuild something that on paper was as good as Roe versus Wade, even in its reduced form after uh, Casey in 1992. Um, You know, if you do get to the point where they have the senators um, to pass a federal uh, abortion bill, you've got to think it's going to be closer to what John Roberts was proposing or what exists in Britain than the kind of... There's there's some kind of medical gatekeeping, essentially. 
some type of Essential. medical, some type of medical gatekeeping, and you don't have a full right to abortion in the second trimester. Um, so I think the, the way I understand it with the American system is there's quite strict restrictions against third trimester abortions. There's complete allowance when it comes to the first trimester. The second trimester is a bit wibbly wobbly. So, so I, I, I think I, I no, so I, I, I do think this is one of those cases where even though if you're if you're a full throated pro choice campaigner, you have lost something that probably you'll not be able to put back um, in exactly the right place. Um, but hopefully, no, I think there's. There will certainly be the possibility of trying to get a federal pro-choice bill through, but probably not anytime soon. Yes. Just because it, it will be a miracle for the Democrats not to lose the House. Well, what what happens in two years' time if you're President Ron DeSantis with with the Republican majority in both houses of Congress? Like, do you get a, like a, a federal? I think an attempted federal abortion ban is going to come before a, you know, a federal right to abortion. Yeah, I think there's a very real, there's a real, real possibility of that. And I think, um, I mean, what you've got, Murkowski and Collins as the two um, pro-choice Republicans. Romney, Romney? I think Romney's pro-choice. I have a hard time. I have a hard time seeing a Mormon voting for a bill that imposes, uh, that basically imposes a set of religious beliefs. Mm. I'm pretty sure he's not pro-choice. I mean, I I think he, I think he kind of hinted at it back back in the early 90s, but I think I'm pretty sure... Well, you couldn't run for governor of Massachusetts and not be pro-choice. Well, quite. Uh, but I, but I, it's always that thing with Romney, isn't it? I think there's always a danger of thinking that the Romney, when he was trying to impress Massachusetts moderates, is a real one, and the, the new conservative version is the fake one. It's much more likely to be the other way around, to be yeah. honest. But then also, you know, will Lisa, when is Lisa Murkowski next up for election? A disallowed. You've got to think she won't get the Republican nomination. But she doesn't Alaska. need to because Alaska has a um, this weird system where it's a top four primary. Yeah. So it's top four, rank, I think, ranked choice voting. So, like, she's basically running as an independent again. Yeah, because Sarah Palin is in that for like the one house seat yes. that Alaska has. Yes. So I, I, I would be surprised if McCaskey doesn't get it because like Manchin's endorsed her. I think the Democrats are soft pad- peddling the campaign. Yeah. I, I think I think there's a good chance. Um, I mean the thing is the Democrats had a Senate seat in Alaska not that long ago. It's not like it's impossible for a Democrat to win in Alaska. Yeah, but I think that was due to weirdness with... Because that was... Oh, what is his name? Ted. Oh, that was the Bridge to Nowhere guy, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that... And uh, yeah, they, won, they won that in 2008, where, like, a wave that you'd have thought was impossible in American politics... But like Alaska is a, a, traditionally a pretty Republican state. Although, of course, hilariously, this is um, 
that was not what people anticipated at the time. Have you have you heard this story? Uh, well, you always do this. Have you heard the story without Sorry. giving me any hint what the story is? Well, when Alaska and Hawaii were going forward to become states, the reason why they were paired together is that they wanted a Democratic and a Republican state. But yeah. the assumption was Hawaii would be the Republican state and, uh, uh, and Alaska would be the Democratic state. And pretty the, the minute they both became states, they swapped well, no, that's not true. That, that, that's not true, actually. No, go on. I mean, Ernest Gruning, who was like the first senator from Alaska, was a fake. I know, was a, you know, was a very liberal Democrat because he was the, he was one of only two senators that voted against the Gulf right. of Tonkin. Soon, soon after, soon after they they became states, they swapped. It's like <laughs> it's like Frank. It's like the sixties are so weird. Like Frank Church, the Frank Church, the uber liberal. Was a senator from Idaho. Well, well, this was this was the argument for polarization. Yeah. That, that, that because the both the two parties were these weird patronage networks, it was actually very difficult for voters to know what they were voting for. <laughs> like that, that 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 literally is the argument for for polarization. Um, but like. Because Frank Church featured a little bit in my PhD features, and he's such a good example of why American politics has got weird. Because he was considered a liberal, you know, wanted like massive expansions to social security, voted for every piece of civil rights legislation that ever made it to the Senate. You know, was was really quite crucial in whipping for the sixty-five Voting Rights Act, and yet he had a perfect. He was in the Senate until 1982. In all that time, he had a perfect score from the NRA and was, like, violently in favour of federally mandated school prayer. Yep, 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 yep. (laughs) Anyway, um, I think we probably talked the the issue, given that we don't know much about it. We probably yeah. talked well, it. The... Let's face it, it's never stopped us before, has it? It's never stopped. And also, I mean, it is interesting. It's interesting because it is one of those ones where you really do see the difference between Britain and America. Actually, um, there, there is, there is one quite. There is one more question I'd like to ask. Oh, go on. about this before we move on. If the Supreme Court keeps passing judgments that either are wildly unpopular, and this is like really quite unpopular uh, can, can, just can I just come in there can... desi- or just transparently designed to fuck with the Democrats like this thing with the FDA how long is it before like maybe Biden won't do it because I don't think he'll ever have the majority but at some point there will be you know another Democratic landslide and so... what happens I think this is John this is what John Roberts keeps trying to like subtly warn against, and the other five are just ignoring him. Yeah, so I, I, I do think, as we careful say, it's not clear how unpopular this, this judgment is. I mean, this is the thing like the, 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 the polling on abortion is a bit of a mess. Yeah. Because, okay, because, because people are so that cross. Stuff that, stuff that is clearly partisan, stuff that is clearly designed. Because there's a quote from like Clarence Thomas that may be apocryphal, but it's gotten a lot of play like on Twitter. So he may never have said this, but there's a quote that like 
Uh, liberals have made my life miserable for 43 years, so I'm going to spend the next 43 years making their lives miserable. So, yeah, so, I mean, it's really difficult to know, isn't it? Because the thing is, like, yeah. the court is so contingent. It's such a random thing to have. Like, it's no way to run a country. It really fucking is. The idea that you should be basing decisions of this importance on what a bunch of 18th century white guys thought is just stupid. Um, but it's not even like what they thought. It's guesses of what yeah, they thought. Yeah, they're trying to interpret what they thought. And often it's not... They, it's... they didn't think about this issue because it wasn't an issue. And also like often it's stuff that clearly is like motivated reasoning. So it's like it's like the, the judgment I just passed against... Um, uh, New York's gun law, yeah, which basically is, you know, you you can regulate concealed carry, but you can't you can't ban it effectively. And it's just like, but even if you accept the the, the Alice in Wonderland logic <coughs> that gets you to everybody's allowed to have guns in case they're called up into a militia, um, why do they need to be allowed to carry them? whilst undergoing private business because that's clearly not militia activity. It's like, I'm going to pop to the shops as part of a well-regulated militia. It's like, no. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to be packing heat while I go and buy bread and milk. Like, what <laughs> fuck is going on? <laughs> so, but, but like, it's so random. And I, I was, uh, Matthew Glazius, because he always does, was getting shouted Ding. at yeah, ding was getting shouted at by people online um, because he was saying, "Look, there was no Republican long game. It it was just it was almost like dumb luck, um, and the fact that in crunch moments, key Republicans were willing to strategically retire, and key Democrats weren't. And 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 that basically is the ball game, you know, like." The Republicans, this is the thing like this should have happened in 92. Um, but somehow Reagan slash Bush Senior um, nominated uh, O'Connor, Souter, and Kennedy. Uh, O'Connor and Kennedy were moderate, were basically moderate Republicans on the bench, quite right wing on economic issues, relatively liberal on social issues. Souter, just literally defected. I mean, like he strategically, he strategically retired so Obama could pick his replacement. That's like how far off the reservation he went. Um, and those three were were what led to Casey, which you no, know, like famously, like Kennedy originally was part of the uh, pro life majority to strike down Roe versus Wade in ninety two. And then got talked in, talked over by O'Connor to do to do something a bit more moderate, where it was basically clipped by its uh, wings. Um, now, if uh, it also, I think it was ninety one, you had ninety one, ninety two, Fergold Marshall uh, stepped down to due, uh, due to ill health. If he it, had... was, it was, it was because Fergold Marshall was replaced by Clarence Thomas. Yes, I think it was ninety one. Yeah, because obviously, obviously, this is where Joe Biden enters the story because he's chair of the Judiciary Committee. And like as we said, like it's a stroke of genius by um, uh, 
by H.W. Bush to get this extremely right-wing African-American uh, well, you know, you know, you know who just to, just to, just to show the time is a flat circle. You know who the driving force behind that pick was? Who? A one William Barr. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> but, but Bush, it was just, a, Bush is Attorney General at the time. But it, because I mean, this is this was position Biden find himself here. No, very no, not not a moment. I'm sure he'll look back on him with pride. But basically, the um, um, Clarence Thomas was a massively popular pick, um, and Biden and other white Democrats were being told loud and clear by their black Democratic colleagues and their black voters, you know, you've got to confirm this guy. Um, so it was a moment of absolute genius on Bush's part. To basically smuggle this very right-wing um, conservative judge past the Democratic Senate, and the thing uh, is, he's proven to be far more right-wing on the bench than I think George H. W. Bush was bargaining for. Well, I think, I think, I'm sure, mindset. I think he is. When Five Thirty Eight did some analysis on this, he's the only Supreme Court justice in modern times. To not move to the left on the bench. Yeah. Uh, like, even anyway, even Skidlayer. You're, you're not really answering my question about. Oh, no, no, okay, let me let me just finish. Let me just finish. So, like, okay. if, if if Marshall had of just stayed in post, he would yeah. have actually he actually died shortly after Clinton was, um, uh, no, w- became president. So Clinton would have got to pick his replacement. Obviously, Bader Ginsburg should have should have stepped down in 2014. Uh, so Obama could have picked a replacement before they lost the Senate, which now this isn't the benefit of hindsight. People were telling her this at the time, and she refused to go. Now, if both of them, uh, if both of those things would have happened, you'd have had a five-four majority to uphold Roe versus Wade. If just one of them happened, because the Marshall one's more of a long shot, um, if if Ginsburg had just seen what the situation was. Yeah, you'd, you'd have at very least have saved the the you know wh- whatever do you could cook up with Roberts. Now, now the, 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 go on. The, the thing is, I I know something about the Tom. I don't know much about the Thomas hearing, but there's a there's a good book on it. I got on Audible uh, ages back by Jane uh, Jane Mayer and another another journalist, uh, and they were saying that like. Their argument is that Thurgood Marshall didn't really have a choice. Yes, he died after Clinton became president, but he was dying, um, and he couldn't. You know, we know. You know, we know. You know, we've had like obviously Bailey Ginsburg and John Paul Stevens went on to be justices in the extreme old age, but he stood down when he did because he couldn't do the job anymore. Well, I think, and I guess, well, like, I think it's a, it's a more tenuous point than Ginsburg, because yeah. what you're basically saying is he does a Rehnquist, where he just disappears um, uh, for prolonged periods and he's not doing his job, and I don't think that would have been accepted at the time, because it, 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 like, the court hadn't fully polarised yet in terms of how uh, the people in, in the elite saw it and how justice they should behave. Yeah. Put it this way. In today's situation, he would have just hung on, even if it meant yeah, he wasn't he would, doing the job. He, would. he wouldn't. He wasn't doing the job for a year. But anyway, so the point is, 
who the fuck knows what's going to happen um, in the next few years? Because look, Thomas um, is an old man. Alito isn't exactly young either. Um, I, there have been rumours about Thomas's health recently. It could be that the situation resolves itself um, because even a 5-4 court will be more hospitable um, to, to, to liberals just because of how Roberts tries to, to, to play the field. If, if you do get a prolonged period of a conservative judge, um, a lot of that will depend on, on, on the state of politics. Like if, you know, you get people like David Shaw who have d- ran the numbers and, and who believe because of the way American politics has became polarised along rural urban lines or, or rural slash suburban and versus urban lines, that you might be you might be looking at um, the Republicans being approaching 60 Senate seats in 2024, um, all being equal. And so, like, if that happens, and if you have, you know, if you have Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis in the White House as part of a, quite a powerful trifecta, well, the Supreme Court isn't clashing with anybody, is it? It's just in lockstep with yeah. the other the other branches of government. If you get, and, and of course, then um, you do start to con- consider the possibility, you know, it, you know, Sotomayor, Kagan, they're not exactly young. You know, you could end up with the nightmare scenario of a 7-2 conservative court, um, which, you know, which would be absolutely um, horrific. So, yeah, so the basic answer is I don't know, because it's such a weird institution. The whole issue could be resolved. I mean, we could wake up tomorrow and Cla- Clarence Thomas has died out of happiness, having struck down Roe versus Wade. Um <laughs> And then, or the, you know, or you know, just, 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 do you still think he has a massive porn habit? <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, so, like, and then Joe Biden would get to appoint another justice. Um, in terms of packing the court, I mean, yeah, I think, I think, I think if you if you end up with kind of what the kind of worst case scenario where you have a prolonged period of like right wing wall being imposed by uh, a yeah. right-wing Supreme Court, the next time the Democrats get a Senate majority, you have to assume it's not. It doesn't have weird, weird things like cinema or mansion as part of that majority. You know, in the same way, their current majority is much more liberal than a majority they had in uh, tw- between 20, uh, 2006 and 2014. they the next majority after this will be even more uniformly liberal and will be willing to um, amend the, to get rid of the filibuster <laughs> to pack the court. Or indeed, like you were implying earlier, Luke, the filibuster will have gone anyway um, because the Republicans want to do something such as a federal abortion uh, ban yeah. or or whatever. Because I'm, ju- I'm just thinking like from a British point of view, it's starting to feel analogous to the situation that led to the Parliament Act, where you have a branch of government that's supposed to be non-partisan, or at least less partisan, 
becoming ferociously partisan and that just becoming unacceptable to the other side of politics. I think I because think... like you're sort of using the cloak of you're sort of using the cloak of constitution. You're sort of using the cloak of you know trying to be above the political fray to just enact a blatantly partisan agenda. I think the thing is though. Um, that we we did we have seen this before when the when because for most of its history the Supreme Court's been a very conservative um institution, but you did have that period with the Warren Court, which bizarrely was led by a Republican, um, a very liberal Republican. Um, as I said, American politics. No, 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 a California Republican. Like California is so California in the forties and fifties was so fucking weird. It was so little political ecosystem. <laughs> I always like the fact that, like, so I, I think I, 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 I kind of reference this in passing, but didn't kind of talk about it in detail. There used to be a big push by American political scientists that polarization would be a good thing in America because their argument was is that nobody had the foggiest idea about what they were voting for because the parties were too, were basically patronage networks. And like even Dwight Eisenhower as president did not know what he was getting when he made El Warren Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice. They always said it was the worst mistake you ever made. Yes. I think if, 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 Dwight, if the president doesn't know his liberals from his conservatives, you clearly have a, a political system that is deeply broken. Um, and of course, now it's gone to the way over to the other extreme. But like, you did have this period where like a lot of stuff was being done by the Supreme Court, partly because a bit like now it was unpicking its own judgments. You know, like there is this issue where like you know some of these judgments you need a Supreme Court to make because it was unpicking its own previous precedents. Um, so. It could be that, you know, the Supreme Court uh, trims its sails a bit. So you do get, after the Warren Court, you get the Burger Court, which, you know, does quickly reverse some judgments. So like, um, you know, the, the death penalty that had been struck down as unconstitutional. And then you get a, a do-over about, what, six, seven years later, where it's made constitutional again. Um, mm, Warren so Burger. <laughs> Mandatory Simpsons reference survey. <laughs> so it is possible that you do get, um, as I said, you know, either either someone dies on the Republican side and you you go back to five four, or um, the backlash to this is so severe that uh, all all uh, Brett Kavanaugh hears for the next year is John Roberts going. I told you so. I told you so. Uh, uh, I told you so. And Brett Kavanaugh becomes a much more reliable vote with John Roberts in the kind of we want to we want to be very very conservative, but only to the point that people don't notice. Um, and or you get, only to the point that we're not wreaking absolute havoc. Um, and so you 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 get a more durable alliance between centrist conservatives, well, they're not centrist conservatives, but um, cautious conservatives. Yeah, cautious pragmatic conservatives and the free liberals. So, yeah, I think I think based on history, 
you would just, and like, you no, know, obviously, you can go back to FDR and the switch in time to save nine uh, when he proposed court packing. Um, the logic would be that actually you end up with the Supreme Court self correcting um, um, to, to, to the Fang opposition uh, to itself imposing real reform. Um, because, you know, it's like with life, isn't it? Never bet against somebody or something, just finding a way to muddle along rather than confront the real issues um, that they are facing. Which, funnily enough, brings us on to the Conservative yeah, I mean, that, Party. That is a great segue. <laughs> How goes That's the a cons- fantastic segue. <laughs> How goes the Conservative that Party? That like- segue of the year. <laughs> Did you plan that? No. Well done. You know what that is? That's the segue equivalent of um, Brent Williams getting out, that is. <laughs> yeah, so how goes the Conservative Party, Luke? Not well, Well, Not, not well. well. <laughs> so, yes, there were two by-elections, and they dong-gone got hammered. Um, because um, they lost Wakefield to Labour, they lost Tiverton to the Lib Dems. Um, kind of, you know, you wake up naked and it, um, whilst giving you your let your talk to the school assembly type day with the Tories. This one, yeah, I mean, this was an electoral depancing. Um, I mean, let's. I always, I always do it this whenever I'm doing like local, like, whenever I'm thinking about local elections or by elections, it. I sort of look at it through the test of who would I rather be. I really don't want to be Boris Johnson. There is not, there is no saving grace to these results for Boris Johnson. These are bad, 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 very bad. And the worst thing about them is that they both involve tactical voting on an industrial scale. Mm. If I'm Keir Starmer, I'm pleased with Wakefield, but I'm not elated. Because it's a pretty chunky swing, but it's not what I need to be really confident of of becoming Prime Minister at the head of a majority government. And if I'm Ed Davey, I'm really pleased. I am over the moon. Because not only have I won, not only have I won on a really chunky swing, but I've actually won on a turnout that is pretty darn good by by election standards. So I've actually, because this is always the this is always the problem for the Lib Dem. They can win these kind of seats on what look like really stonking swings at by elections. And then they lose them at general elections because a bunch of voters, because a bunch of Tories that either couldn't be bothered to vote or wanted to send a message, sort of run back home to mama. If you're looking at holding Tiverton in a general election, the signs are quite good because you did manage to mobilise a hell of a big vote for a by-election. So, yeah, I think I, I think... Boris Johnson comes out very badly. Keir Starmer comes out moderately well. Ed Davey comes out very well. I think the um, 
I think the tactical voting thing is the most important thing. And I think what's really interesting is, is that between uh, Tiverton and um, Shropshire, like the message has gone out that these kind of, I mean, Shropshire's not really Southern, but, you know, the, these, these kind of Tory heartland suburban rural seats, even if the Lib Dems were third at the last election, they're the horse to back. They're the anti. They're the anti-Tory stick, yeah. which is quite impressive coordination. And it, again, it does talk to Labour, um, clearing the field for the Lib Dems in a way that is unusual. Like there is, there is no pretense of, of of Labour trying to go in for the win, confusing the voters. And obviously, you have had this thing where that's been a lot easier to do because you know you've had other by-elections around the time that 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 labor can say well we're focusing on this instead um the i think with some like i've seen a lot of people say well you know this is a similar this is similar to like um what ed Miliband did in 2012 ed Miliband didn't become prime minister but like he would have became prime minister if the lib dems were doing this well it's it's only because people couldn't comprehend just how brutally the Tories would squeeze the Lib Dem votes. Um, that Ed Miliband didn't get a chance to lead a coalition government with the Lib Dems. Because, I mean, the Lib Dems at the moment, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be too optimistic on their behalf because the Lib Dems do tend to underperform in terms of seats gained. And, you know, if you want to know why, they'll tell you. Um, begins with an F, um, and it's not fucking. Um, but the um, they should be on course for maybe like thirty seats. Which, which I mean, the 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 the, the one thing that they do have to kind of hold their self discipline because yes, they don't they don't want to they don't want to fall into the trap that Joe Swinson fell into. Of seeing a bu- of seeing a bunch of local council election results um, that look very good, and a by election result that looked excellent, and then chasing you know, then being the dog that then being the dog that chases the car, and you end up you end up winning like ten x, you end up winning like five or six extra seats because you've dissipated your effort across any number of target seats, and you know. You can say that's going to be easier for Ed Davey because he has the experience of seeing what happened to Joe Swinton. But it's actually really difficult when you've got a when you have an energized bunch of activists going, come on, campaign in our seats, campaign in our seats, campaign in our seats. <laughs> it's actually really difficult to turn around and go, no, I'm not. Because these are the 30 seats I'm gonna gain, and everything else is irrelevant. I think what does help with that is having tactical alliance with Labour. Yeah. Because then you can go, yeah, well, we've, we've kind of promised these seats to Labour. These are the seats yeah, the, that the, we're going the, for. The, the, the thing is, I mean, I think there, there is going to obviously, I think there's obviously going to be a degree of tactical voting. But the thing is, in, play, in North Shropshire and Tiverton, that's easy because Labour is nowhere. What's going to be harder is there are, there are a great number of seats where if you're Labour and you're looking good, 
well, why should I hand over that seat to the Lib Dems? And the, there's a smaller number of seats where the opposite logic applies. Yeah, it's true. But, but as I said, like, the, the key... I'm, f- I'm, just say, I'm just saying this kind of... Inf- to try and enforce that, you need to... I think you need something a bit more formal than just a nod and a wink. But I don't think you do. I, I, I think, I mean, that there will always be edge cases which are a bit more difficult and it can break down. But like Labour and the Lib Dems now are fairly well sorted in terms of areas that they are strong or the likely challenges for the Tories. I don't think it's that difficult to do the, 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 the nudge and the wink. I think it was much more difficult in the last election where the Lib Dems felt that they could be a genuine third force taking votes of Labour voters who were unhappy with Jeremy Corbyn, which is why, you know, that you had the disastrous attempts to kind of take seats off Labour in, in London and, you know, slightly vindictively, Labour, Labour responded in kind by uh, uh, campaigning quite hard in some seats that they probably could have let the Lib Dems have and the Lib Dems were going up against the Tories. But um, to me, I think I think the key thing is people, people keep talking. So first of all, yes, Miliband got similar results as Wakefield, but then went on to lose. But he he primarily went on to lose because the Lib Dems got utterly annihilated. But secondly, part of also what happened is the Tories' position improved because the economy got better, and like it's not impossible that the economy gets better in the next two two years. But it's it's it doesn't seem likely at the moment, and also it doesn't seem likely it will get better in a way that vindicates the Tories. Because one of the things that is just really striking at the moment, the Tories are completely incoherent when it comes to the economy. They they just do not have a line to take. Um, you know, I mean, I was saying this on Twitter. I think part of the issue is is that the Tories have become addicted to like the Stranger, Stranger Things version of Thatcherism, when it's all like cutting taxes, scrapping regulations and beating the miners. You know, if, the there's, aw- a pop, if there's a pop culture reference, Will's going to take it. The awkward- now that's how you know he's an opinion columnist, people. <laughs> you know, the awkward stuff. Oh, like- there's a popular TV programme it's set in the 80s. The awkward stuff, where it was like, you know, how increasing interest rates and taxes in the face of higher inflation whilst also cutting spending all that stuff all that really difficult stuff that was actually the foundation of Thatcherism success in like, Thatcher's eyes so are, are you te- are you telling me that the tory party under boris johnson just wants to be loved well i'm shocked shocked i tell you but i don't think it's just boris johnson i like the amount of people in like who who consider themselves Thatcherites. We're talking about it's time to cut taxes. Oh, well, they're not Thatcherites. They would be Republicans. But it is quite amazing. It is quite astonishing. (laughs) These people have gone... These people have... These these are the people that look at the Laffler curve and go, if we cut taxes to zero, we gain huge revenue. So I, 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 I still think the most likely outcome on the next election is Labour gets a majority because... I just think the next two years are going to be awful for the Tory party. Um, yeah. I, I, I just, I just, they feel like a party that is, is falling apart. Um, now we should say 
Boris Johnson, like, who did this? Like, what idiot didn't look at the Prime Minister's calendar uh, before scheduling these by-elections? Because, like, what I don't think is helping Johnson at all. He's out of the country for a week. Because he, he was in Rwanda when these, annou- these announcements I mean, came. Does, that, does, that, it, does, does it feel to you like a little bit like Anthony sodding off to Jamaica for three weeks? Well, I mean, do, 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 no, I think the better example is Thatcher being at the um, oh, oh, European Summit. The no, because the OSCE thing was actually really important for German reunification. Well, yeah, but like it's Rwanda G7 and NATO. These aren't nothing events. They're true, true. Um, 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 so, like, the um, I can't believe you're being so mean to the Commonwealth today, Luke. What happened to you, man? I want the Commonwealth to be important, Why but that we... would require the British government, in particular, putting some effort in, and they aren't. Why are we letting? former colonies of other European countries in, by the way. Because it's trolling the French and I love it. <laughs> you know, why do you, why, do you, why do you need a reason to do something? Trolling the French is pretty high up on the list. Is that why we're spending millions and millions of pounds to keep the Queen alive until she breaks Louis' record? Yes. And it's a good idea. And look... <laughs> I'm driven. I'm driven by three motives: love, spite, and trolling the French. Is that the Frankie Boyle line about you talking about how much the Olympics cost? Like for that money, you could have written "sod off Germany" on the moon. <laughs> it's like, well, can we swap Germany for France? Yeah. Then you got a deal. Um. Like you, like I do. Like it does feel like the mood in the toy party is a bit febrile, um, just a little bit. Yeah, I, I like I personally do not think that um, delaying the the vote no confidence would have made a difference um, because, like these, like everybody expected these losses. Like I think you know Phil Cowley um, said, you know, if if if, if toy MPs are shocked by these results to the extent it would have changed their vote and the vote of no confidence, then there are quite a few Tory MPs with a shocking lack of imagination. But, um, but yeah, like, to me, it, 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 it does feel like the fact that Johnson's away is allowing everybody to just completely panic in his absence. And obviously you had this weird thing of Oliver Downden Doing a personal resignation, but seems to sh- seems to be a fairly pointed personal res- uh, resignation. Yeah. What do you? Yeah, think? I mean, I can't, I can't argue with that. At 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 two, Dowdy. <laughs> so, what's going to happen, Luke? I have a horrible feeling that Boris Johnson is going to limp on for another two years and get absolutely tanked. I mean, it does... That, to me, feels... At some point, if he's going to be removed, you need to have... um, You need to have cabinet ministers actually resign and not do kind of passive-aggressive... Letters like Dowden did, and it says like 
it was barely passive aggressive. Um, um, because like he doesn't even say he's looking forward to supporting Johnson from the back benches. Um, you're going to need to start having people resign and saying that we think you should go. And I'm not sure anybody has the spirit for it. Like I was reading a Times article today where they you know, they, they had a quote from a minister saying, oh, I would resign, but it'd make no difference. Other people have to resign first. And I was like, you could have, you could resign. You could be. Be the difference you want. But it's like, I can't believe how passive a lot of these... I hate this term because it has less and less meaning the longer time goes on. The red wall conservative MPs are being like, do you want to be an MP for more than one term? Well, yeah, well, that's the other... do something. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of MPs who on... Co- like, you... The Tories still being in government next time. You like if you squint, it's still possible. But like they are, they are, they are not getting the majority anywhere close to what they have now. And I can tell you where those seats they'll lose are primarily. Like yeah, no, it's really, really weird. And it's like, and it is bizarre just how how enforced it all is. Like, look. No government would be doing well now. It is a it is a legitimately bad climate to be to be the incumbent. Yeah, but that's when you that's when you want to keep unforced errors to an absolute minimum. And this government is drowning in unforced errors. Yeah, yeah. I, for fuck's sake, there is a story that you ask a donor for one hundred and fifty grand to build a treehouse. For fuck's sake, a treehouse. Well. Sorry yep. for the swearing, if that makes it hard to put the podcast. Oh, oh yeah, you apologise for swearing and I, to me. Well, yeah. But yes, no, I know it's... Treehouse, Will! And it's all just about trying to get Carrie a job. Just like, can you stop with the blatant nepotism and corruption for just five minutes? But this is the thing, isn't it? Like, and it's like obviously you've had these RMT strikes, and like, it really does underline what a class act David Cameron was as a politician, because like Boris Johnson and the rest of the Tory Party, they really cannot, but come across as the most elitist. Um, Weirdos. This is the thing. They come yeah. across as like, not just elitist, but just. Downright odd. Yes. It's just so bizarre. Um, I mean, who thinks it's reasonable to spend 150 grand on a treehouse? Well, this is the thing, like, you know, if Johnson wants to spend his own money on a treehouse, fair enough. But, like, <laughs> still, that still come across as really weird. It does come across as a bit weird. Uh, and like yeah, obviously you obviously you have like Sunak I and mean, spent what was it like six million on redeveloping his um you know his various property. It's just like guys, guys, what are you doing? It's the line out of um, 
the thick of it as well. They, they, they don't believe politicians should have chairs. They, they think you should sit on overturned KFCs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So I, yeah, I, but the thing is like, it's, it goes back to that thing though is, do the toys have someone better? Like I know you're, you're about to say Penny Mordaunt and then like that's, that would I wasn't probably... about to say Penny Morton. Who were you about to say, Luke? <laughs> I'd like to see Tom Tuggenhardt, to be honest. Well, that, that's true. You can't lose an election if the world dies a nuclear holocaust beforehand. <laughs> and it's not because it's not because I've sort of been at events with him, and I'd be sort of I'd be sort of quite confident of sort of <laughs> you know. I happen to know somebody. No, not at all. It wouldn't be that at all. No, just because he he likes things that go boom, boom, boom. But like, I I really, I'm really not convinced there's anybody in a Tory party that is going to be better than Boris Johnson, except the fact that Boris Johnson is this corrupt clown. But I would like it, like if he could just not, like you were saying, if he could just cut out the corruption. For like a few months, he probably still is the Tory Party's but, best. Bet. The thing is, well, there was an opinion, opinion, uh, not an opinion poll, like an opinion poll hmm. that came out yesterday that had the Tories like three points behind Labour. It's like, 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 yeah, like I think like the average is like about five and a half to six points. It's like that's not a that's not like. When Tony Blair was getting like over fifty percent of the vote. No, but opinion polls are more sophisticated now, and they are more cautious. And like you do see opinion polls that are quite close to the ninety-seven spread. Like I've seen. You see a few... ones that are a lot. They're a long way off as well. You do. Is my you point. Do. I mean, yeah. Like I don't think any. Oh, it's one of the weird ones, isn't it? Like. If Labour get a one-seat majority, that is the equivalent of a landslide because of how far back they're starting. Um, and they don't have the benefit of, like, 40 seats in the bag from Scotland. Um, and, like, obviously, Wales, uh, uh, Wales is also... They're going to have a much fewer seats in Wales just because of Wales's seat uh, share being reduced so badly. So, in short... The toys are fucked, but maybe not as much as they should be. And on that bombshell. And on that bombshell, I've been Will Calling. He's been Dr. Luke Mid-Up. We'll talk to you again in a while.